Hello everyone and welcome to The Lens with me, Harjot Singh. For those of you tuning in for the first time, The Lens is a business in the community podcast. It creates open and unscripted conversations between current and future leaders to challenge the way we all think about responsible business and help shape a fairer, better society for everyone. Our ambition is to make the UK the world leader at responsible business and show the way. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the power of inclusion and how our lived experience can place us in a position of strength to lead, to foster and architect a culture of belonging and inclusion at the workplace. I am joined by two very inspiring and accomplished guests today. Joining me from his home in North Carolina, we have Khalid Chabot, SVP and Managing Director of Enterprise Holdings UK and Ireland. And calling in from the UK, I have the wonderful Dara Douglas, Director of Consulting at PwC UK. Welcome Khalid and Dara. So good to have you on the program. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Harjot. Great to be here. Great. Khalid, let's start with you first. It's so striking when I read about you and you've had such an incredible journey. And, you know, when you talk about your leadership style, you talk about how your whole journey has helped establish that and has helped create some of those ideas, values and principles with which you lead. So tell us a little bit about what's got you to where it has. Well, I, you know, when you say it's extraordinary, it's very ordinary for me. Um, and I think most people's um, journeys, when you look at them externally, seem extraordinary. I'm the son of a first-generation immigrant family. Um, we emigrated to the United States from uh, Cairo, Egypt, uh, when I was at the tender age of two and a half. I knew that we didn't fit in. Um, I didn't exactly know why. I didn't exactly know uh, how come, but I knew that we just didn't fit like the other kids and families in the neighborhood. We also moved um, eight times in 11 years, in my first 11 years. So uh, it was a real transient experience and required us to adjust and adapt and integrate quickly. Um, And I think that's really helped me, um, I don't know, by accident or by purpose, helped me develop the ability to integrate and connect with communities and and people um, rather quickly. Um, it's also taught me how to move really fast. Um, I can pack a box in about 20 minutes and I'm out. It is quite exceptional um, in some ways, given what most people who are at your level may have experienced in their journey getting to where they have. I mean, you joined Enterprise in 1991 via their uh, management training program. What have you learned over the years that you feel you're in a position to share with other leaders who are stepping into positions of leadership? I joined corporate America 37 years ago. So the the world I entered into, the corporate world I entered into, um, is probably and most likely very different to the one Dara and her generation are entering into today. But the one thing that's helped me through that journey, probably more than anything, is resiliency. We use the word resiliency a lot. I didn't realize until much later on in my career, the adversity I faced. I call it bumping off the guide rails. I would bump on the wall to the right and move to a little bit to the left. And I'd bump the wall on the left and move a little bit to the right. But I never spent a lot of time woeing each bump. Um, probably because I was, I just didn't have a lot of choice at the time. I just kept um, 
focused on the, the goal. And, and the goal did change over the years. The goal changed several times throughout, the, throughout my 30-year uh, career to date. Um, so that, yeah, if I had to single it out in one word, it's resiliency. Resilience is such a great word, and especially given the time we find ourselves in, it's just such an important value. We're all starting to, um, I think, encounter and experience our own capacity for resilience, uh, given the year we've all had. I was really struck when you and I spoke yesterday. Um, I asked you about leadership, and uh, you said something that I have been thinking about uh, since you said that, and I think our listeners would find that very, very compelling. We talked about uh, leading by listening. And you said that that was something that you really ascribe to as a principle and as a way to lead. So talk to us a little bit about what that means. Listening to our customers and listening to our employees uh, helps us become a better organization and better leaders. And I think no more so than now, as we look at, you know, how quickly uh, society and business is evolving. And, and it's important that we stay relevant and connected to the men and women that the decisions affect the most profoundly. It's been incredibly beneficial um, to listen and ask for feedback and then make sure that your decisions are relevant and impactful to those people that you're, uh, that you're responsible or charged with stewarding. I guess solicit their feedback on the potential choices you have too. And then try and communicate, not just the what you wanna do or the how you wanna do it, but most importantly, the why. So if we listen, um, that we, we do much better at making decisions that impact people more, more, more productively. I do have a, a question, uh, if, you, if, I, if you could indulge me for Dara, because Dara, when I, I'm just curious, when someone in your generation and organization Here's, I don't know, somebody like me say, I, I'd like to listen. How does that make you feel? Or do, or do you approach that with a bit of cynicism or skepticism that says, oh, yeah, do they really want to hear what I have to say? For me, I think that's the type of leader that I would love to see more of. Um, and I, I've talked a lot about just the value in, in listening and humble leadership. And especially in the world that we're in today, I think recognizing that no one has all the answers um, and the world is changing so quickly that you need to bring in that diversity of perspective and experience to be able to solve the problems that we have. That's kind of the core of everything I do in my work. And so when leaders recognize that and they're humble enough to say, actually, let me seek somebody else's view on this let me just sense what's going on on the ground like how are people feeling and take that time it's I think it's always appreciated it can obviously at the same time be sensed if that's done in a way that's not authentic and how what do you do with what you hear if that makes sense so it goes beyond just asking for the information but I think that more and more our generation is expecting that we're included in the discussions. We have a point of view. We have something to bring to the table. Um, and that's a valuable contribution that we can bring. We don't have to be at a position of leadership in order to be able to give that. It's almost just looked sought for, looked for, and it's valued. Perhaps we need to have a discussion on not confusing experience with wisdom. So it doesn't mean that just because someone's experienced, they have the wisdom. And on the other side, just because someone doesn't have 
20 years of experience, they can have a really, really wise point of view because they have the lived experience that keeps you honest in the room. So what do you both think about, um, you know, being able to balance that in the room, so to speak, when you're making decisions? Yeah, for me, it's all about perspective. So exactly as you say, there's, there's a perspective that comes through many years of experience. There's a perspective that comes from being completely fresh, just walked in the, the door, and I'm now experiencing what this organisation is like. And the power in being able to bring those perspectives together, I think, is amazing. You can really uncover new insights, new ways of thinking about things. All the work we do in, in diversity and inclusion, all the work that I do in terms of driving new ways of working, it's, it's all about how do we bring diversity of thought in order to get to a better place um, for business, for a better place for our customers. How do we create better solutions, a better future? Um, and only when you truly embrace and see the benefits and power of that perspective I think, can you do that? So, yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I think it's not just about years or tenure. Um, it's all about the differences that we bring. And I think many people sometimes undermine the contribution that they can bring to a conversation. And that's kind of a lost opportunity. Right. And inclusion at its heart then is so much about inclusion of different perspectives. It's not just about including bodies. It's not about just including people as physical entities who show up to work. It's about genuinely being inclusive of different points of view and perspectives and being able to, you know, draw from them and tap into them into being able to chart out the future of the company. So, um, you know, I love that. So Khalid, that's something that I know you're very passionate about at Enterprise. And it even shows in uh, some of the work that you're doing where you talk about the future of mobility in being able to positively impact businesses, communities, and individuals, and about promoting inclusion and equity. We drive most of our decisions by listening to our customers, our stakeholders, and our employees. And our, we, one of the things I, I often laugh about is when people came to me five, even 10 years ago, and they with almost panic in their eyes saying, oh my God, what are we gonna do about the sharing economy? What are we gonna do about all this development and future mobility? I said, but we've been in the sharing economy for 65 years, why are we afraid of this? We, we are fundamentally at the core of the sharing economy. We've been renting vehicles by the hour for 65 years. And all of a sudden somebody's renting a vehicle by the hour on a street side in the center of London. I'm trying to understand why this is a novel concept. We've been doing this a long time. If you look at the root of what we do, we provide mobility for people, goods and services. We just have to evolve with customers growing in expectations and commuters growing expectations. If we listen to their problems and then open-mindedly try and solve them for them in a thoughtful, um, economical, sustainable manner, then we're gonna be on the front edge of this. I often talk about just shut up, look and listen. If you do that, customers and stakeholders will, not shareholders, stakeholders will tell you what their problem is if you're listening, not trying to shove your solution down their throat but simply listening to what problem they present you with and then genuinely and without any preconceived notions, try and help. Somebody says, I need help crossing the street. You don't try and build them a house. You serve their need. Find a way to help them cross the street. And so providing them the solution that best suits their problem is what we've done for over six decades. I think it's what we're 
relatively good at today and how I believe by continuing to do so with an amazing dean that's all grown up in a culture of listening uh, and addressing those concerns. I think we're going to, we've got a good chance of staying at the front edge of that mobility evolution. And it will not be a revolution. It will be an evolutionary process as much as politicians and uh, love to talk about deadlines like 2023, 2025, 2030. These are wonderful catchphrases and deadlines and they're really good campaign slogans, but they have absolutely no foundation in reality. Ultimately, consumers and markets evolve at their own rate. Exactly. And especially when you're in the business of creating or being rather a truly integrated mobility provider, if you're in the business of providing people with whatever vehicle they need, whenever they need it, however long they need it for, obviously, you have to be tapped into what people want, what people will want, be able to have an anticipatory response to those emerging needs. Dara, I'm curious, you've worked in so many complex organizations and you've worked in strategy and operations. You've worked in a really diverse range of industries, geographies, operating models. You've developed this belief that people transformation is at the heart of any kind of real sustainable um, business change. And you're driving cultural change at PwC for the last two years. You're leading a movement of digital ways of working across consulting. So, so much of this feels a little different from the kind of business that enterprise may be into. So tell us a little bit about how that impacts and shapes the business that PwC are in. It comes down to people. And I think no matter what kind of problem you're trying to solve, it's who's it a problem for getting to what what it really means for them. Effectively, what I've been driving is a a way of working that brings together three lenses of business experience and technology um, and really recognises that any digital transformation in in 2021 requires um, a a view of the value to the business, um, the technology that's going to enable it, but then at the heart of it, the the experience for the employee, the person, um, the human that is going to be um, impacted by all of this change. And when you really can look at problems through all of those lenses, you can start to unlock new creativity, innovation, and get to the heart and root of of issues um, and drive a much more empathetic um, approach to change. You know, I love that because uh, when I speak to the both of you, I'm just so struck by how passionate you both are. So I want to talk to you both about some of the work you're doing with in service to that. Dara, let's start with you. You set up the diversity mentoring scheme for those from socially deprived backgrounds, for example. You've launched and chaired the Multicultural Business Network. I saw you've even run a campaign called Color Brave to drive more conversations on race in the workplace. And that is such an important issue. And you're now leading the UK Black Tech Partnership to drive more diversity in technology roles. Talk to us a little bit about what this is and what you're doing specifically in this area and how our listeners can be part of it. It was very much like a personal experience that I was facing and they're wanting to make um, a different environment for people kind of coming after me. So the diversity mentoring, that was when I first joined PwC, being from a working class background, none of my family understood what even consultancy was, how to get along and how could I create more access to people from socially deprived backgrounds to really 
be able to build um, a career, so a successful career in professional services. Um, and then the multicultural business network, once I'm in the door, like how do I engage, how do I feel engaged and at home um, in this organization and create an environment where everyone, despite regardless of their cultural background, their languages they may speak or country they were born in, feels at home and has a place. And um, we can actually embrace the value um, of all of that diversity. And I, I think that's often what's been driving me in terms of wanting to make a change, seeing something that could be better and then um, supporting others within the organization and just wanting to make it better for those coming after me. Right now, the big thing um, is in technology, we are continuing to grow. It's kind of driving the future for many organizations. Um, and technology is so powerful, but yet at the same time, how do we make sure that the technology that's created is created by diverse views, diverse perspectives, um, and therefore meets the needs of the diverse um, stakeholders it will serve? So really, really important, um, the work that we've been doing with UK Black Tech to drive more ethnic diversity within the tech roles that we're recruiting within the tech sector as a whole. Um, I think they're a fantastic organisation. I would definitely encourage others to, to look them up. Um, but we've been doing some fantastic work to see how not only we can recruit more diverse um, candidates, but also how we can engage them differently, how we can drive product and service innovation by bringing diverse people together um, and being able to show not just the kind of moral benefits of, of working in a diverse way, but also the business impact in terms of new solutions created, I think is really shifting the narrative as well. And so I, I find it really enjoyable and um, I could I get very passionate, but I think this move of, um, or the shift that's happening in the world and how much technology is impacting that, we need to make sure that we create a future that is embracing all and for all of our well-being. Yes, absolutely, because I think people think of diversity and inclusion as being a social imperative. Diversity and inclusion is not a social imperative. It is not a trend. It is a business imperative more than it is anything else. Khalid, what you were saying that we have to make sure that we're listening to those the perspectives and ideas and opinions of those whom our decisions are going to impact. So getting all that input in. And that brings me to you. You are doing a lot of work in this area as well as yourself, as a leader at Enterprise, and also as um, part of the BITC Race Equality Leadership Team. So tell our listeners a little bit, if you don't mind, about what that is. What is your work in the Business and the Community Race Equality Leadership Team like? And what does that entail? Happy to. Uh, first of all, I'd like to commend Dara on all the work she's doing. And I can tell you from 30 years of experience, what you're doing is extraordinary. You can't help but listen to Dara and not see the value in listening to stakeholders of different ages, experiences, um, and perspectives in your business, uh, which leads to the work we're doing with business in the community and the race at work survey. For instance, in our organization, we created an individual um, employee code so that we could um, survey employees of all uh, backgrounds within our organizations about specific questions uh, relating to their experience uh, at, within their workplaces and within their communities. And with that unique code, we're then able to take the subset of data and insights from that data um, and then benchmark it uh, across all you know, corporate UK. 
um, businesses that are in, that are involved in the survey. And one of the things I'm really excited about isn't just the data, because I think people are obsessed with data. Data is nice to have. Insights are really what brings value in these. And because these sorts of initiatives aren't defined by a singular destination, um, they are a perpetual journey. And I think that's what we're on um, as an organization. I think this lends itself to supporting the ongoing efforts that a lot of companies are making in earnest. I think there are a lot of organizations out there trying to do uh, the best that they believe they can in this area. Um, I think your message, Harjat, uh, earlier, I've repeated often that this isn't a social imperative, um, diversity, inclusion, and equity. It's an absolute business imperative. If winning is defined by having the best and most talented team, then why would you ever limit the access to that team? You'd want the broadest and deepest pool of talent you could draw from. And then more importantly than just having that deep pool and broad pool of talent is making them feel not just able to join the team, but welcome within that team. And that's where you talk about inclusion and equity. Not just that I have the rights to enter the room, but I am welcomed into the room with open arms. And then I feel at home in that space and bring my whole self to that space. And that's really the magic ideal that we all strive towards. I'm not saying we achieve it. I'm saying it's certainly good aspiration in this. Exactly. I mean, you you not only want to show up as your full self, I fully agree with you just to reinforce that. It's not just about showing up as your full self. It's not just about believing that you can show up at your, as your full self, but it's being it's it's flourishing because of your full self. It's being able to actually use that as um, a fuel to drive growth for yourself, for your team, and for your company. To know that that is appreciated, that is valued, and that's the kind of culture we're out to create um, under leadership of uh, people that are as switched on as yourself and as Dara are doing this kind of work. Your company has been named on the Times top 50 list of places where women want to work for 16 consecutive years. Now, this just makes me think about what it must have been like 16 years ago, because, you know, this is a gap that corporations and society have been trying to bridge for a long time. Why do you think, what's happened at Enterprise that you feel has, or that you believe has helped you stay on top and be an example of being one of the most inclusive places where women want to work for 16 consecutive years? I think it goes back to our ownership. So I I think that we're incredibly proud of our uh, the recognition uh, in the Times Top 50 list and, and the fact that it's been 16 years in a row is, is a testament to the consistency of the men and women that operate our business every single day, that we're able to get that recognition annually. But I guess more importantly is how the men and women that, it, that join our organization this year experience our organization. The last 16 years is one thing, and we're very proud of that. We can't rest on that. We have to continually to evolve to make sure that this generation joining us this month or next month has an equal experience, if not better, with their efforts, their energy, uh, their intellect. And so we're also very grateful for uh, what they've brought to the organization over that period of time. And we've gotten that from, like I said, from our ownership, from our founder, from uh, Andy Taylor, who took over from him. Um, Pam Nicholson, who was our CEO uh, for uh, over a decade, and our current CEO, Chrissy Taylor, third generation Taylor, we're a privately owned company, and we've benefited from those, I guess, family values 
that have run through our organization before it was popular or trendy to have those values and state them publicly. They've been part of our culture throughout. And we've just been blessed with that. That's so a kind of an unfair advantage for people like me to start from a great foundation like that. And, you know, and create an even stronger foundation for more people to be part of it. What is it that you're doing now with your partnership with BITC that's placed you in a position of strength, one would say, to be able to do that for other communities as well? What are we doing for people of other backgrounds, racially diverse, people from different sexual orientations, people from different socioeconomic um, backgrounds, all the other facets that make up the diversity that exists in our world. Honestly, we don't have enough time this morning to go through all of the programs that we have, but I will say there's that it's been a consistent effort. Um, over the last two decades, in particular in the UK, we have had a diversity strands program where all of the areas you just mentioned, we have leadership involved um, from all aspects of the business in that space, whether it's the LGBT space where we have, so we call them diversity strands. And within those, we have very active and passionate leadership. And <clears throat> we set quarterly and annual targets. And then Historically, we have, for almost the last decade and a half, had every single vice president in the company, in, in our market, in a room for three to four hours without any talk about operations or business or numbers or profits and losses. We talk solely about the responsibility we have to guide our individual strands, and we report to each other. So it's a sort of a peer support and a peer pressure to make sure we continue to evolve and achieve and invest in those areas. And we're an incredibly competitive bunch for fun, obviously for fun as well as um, for performance. So you get a tenth, so well, we achieve this and then the other group has to achieve that. And it's a lot of fun. We, we are incredibly involved with Pride program. Um, we have an Enter Pride campaign, which we're very proud of. We have a Minorities in Leadership program. And this year in particular, I'm very proud of the work we've done with an organization we've called Embrace. Um, to support uh, and, and re-emphasize our engagement with racial uh, equity and inclusion in our organization. And then recently, uh, Business in the Community was kind enough to let me join their leadership uh, board, which I was very grateful for. And learning from some of the, the, the leading thinkers in that space is something that we're really looking forward to as an organization. Dara, you know, you've been listening to us uh, talk about this for a while now. What else do you think that, um, you know, leaders should, could, can do better, more, different to further community-based interests in business? Do you think enough's going on? How do you see it? I think there's definitely still more to do. I think for me, it's two main things. The first piece is like moving the diversity or the purpose, like the community agenda from being on the side to being embedded in everything that we do. So, you know, it's just, it's like breaking it down through every single interaction. Um, it's not just how you recruit, it's how you're engaging people. It's the work, it's the project, it's making sure you've got mixed teams. Um, it, it's almost like, how do you make it just every, every day? And I think that is the shift that this now becomes not just a, a nice to have on the side, but it's actually integrated in all of the business decisions that we are making. 
um, and it's part of our consciousness. I think a lot of the conversations over the last year have have brought many things, particularly around race, um, more to people's consciousness. Um, and I think that not losing the momentum around that because it's it's very easy when things are on trend um, for people to be talking about them a lot and then it suddenly disappears again. Um, but bringing it front and center and integrated into everything we do. Uh, I guess the other piece for me is how do we make it so that we're act- it's action, right? Like there's a lot of discussions that have been held. And I, I also mentioned this because we ran a campaign from even from back in 2017 about um, we talked about colour brave how can we be more confident in having conversations on race in the workplace and I'm really proud of the work that has been done to create an environment where people are more comfortable to discuss certain issues but I think it still comes back to okay how do we start to shift the dial um PwC has been really transparent in our representation our statistics our pay gap data both from an agenda and an ethnicity perspective and I think that's a great way of holding ourselves to account setting targets of where we're trying to get to and continuing to see action happening every single day that's moving us in the right direction so it doesn't feel like it's just conversations or it's just talk and people saying this would be nice wouldn't it but not actually doing anything and I think that's where the kind of point around authenticity comes in like we we really need leaders who care about this so what you're saying is we've, we're done talking about it we now everything that needs to be done is out there let's start making change let's start converting let's start actually measuring ourselves by the impact we create so is that is that one way of in which you think tomorrow's leaders are going to evaluate themselves or be very different um is that they're just going to be very much more impact oriented Yeah, I mean, it's hard to boil it down to one, but I definitely think that that is a key thing. I think there's something for me around the the humility, the way that leaders will lead, that humble inquiry. Um, There's also something about being far more purpose-led, and I think that kind of links together all of those pieces, that you're seeking diverse perspectives, you're you're practically making changes in your organisation to make sure that that's happening. You're humbly going to find out from those diverse people once you have them in the room, it's like how do you, you kind of get their views um, and then you're very very focused on much bigger um, societal purpose-led outcomes than just bottom line and I think that's kind of how my generation is, is seeing um, leadership moving forward and I think even more so for the generations coming after me as well that that's going to be a big shift. We've heard from Dara what would you say from your perspective is the biggest opportunity for leaders in the next generation? I think it's the younger members of our teams that are coming through the organization and developing a balance between the skills required to run our businesses effectively. Because let's not forget, we do have to run our businesses effectively and operationally effectively, and that we can maintain a balance between our cultural priorities, our operational priorities, our customers' asks. It's a very complex cocktail. It's not as simple as it sounds. Each element of its uh, on its own is is actually quite uh, simple to articulate. It is the beautiful balance that you have to create, um, and that balance does come with a diversity. It's easier to achieve with a um, uh, the diversity of perspective. I'm not a huge fan of the term diversity in and of itself because I think it's oftentimes misused or overused in um, in corporate society. Um, <clears throat> to make people feel like they're compliant with something. But ultimately, the diversity of voice in the future 
is going to be critical. You, you called it a business imperative. I couldn't agree more. Organizations, not just with talent, but a diversity of talent and a diversity of voice and a diversity of perspective that apply that are going to have a competitive advantage over everyone else. And, and in business, as in, in most things that are competitive, that's where you want to be. You want that competitive advantage. We certainly hope that we can continue to develop that so that we can maintain a little bit of a competitive advantage going into the future. And uh, it's worked for us so far. It's been a great fuel, an accelerant to our business, both the breadth and depth of our talent and the diversity of that perspective that we're able to maintain. So I'm very excited about the future as it relates to that, to be honest. And as a father of two amazing young women, their opportunities now that I don't think would have been as available to them three, two, or one decade ago. The job isn't nearly done, but are we progressing in that journey? I absolutely believe we are. That's the most important point, isn't it? I read somewhere that change is the only evidence of growth. And I've never forgotten it. We could talk about this, like you said, all day. But there's one thing that I'm taking away from this is that when diversity moves from being about compliance to being about culture, it becomes a competitive advantage. So before we end, here's my last question for the both of you. What would you say is the most surprising thing this past year has taught you about yourself? Dara, why don't you go first? I feel like my learning has been a lot about slowing down. Everything before the pandemic was like constantly rushing, a million plates spinning, and the pandemic just given many people that time to pause and reflect about what's really important so that then we can be more purposeful and intentional and speed up. So I think that just taking time, creating space, slowing down to speed up, that's been a big new thing that I'm trying to absorb and, and apply. Thank you, Dara. Khalid, what would you say? I would say what I've taken from this last year more than anything else is gratitude. Um, I'm incredibly grateful for my, my health, my family's health, um, things I used to take for granted. Um, <clears throat> just going to lunch with a friend, having friends over and shaking hands, hugging. I took all that for granted. And I, I don't now. I hope I don't lose that. As you know, God willing, we do find some sense of normality moving forward, and I'm still optimistic we will. Um, I hope I don't lose that. But that's what I've taken from the last year. That is so true and so profound and insightful at the same time. It's been so much fun to talk to you both. It's been just such a wonderful conversation, so rich and just so organic in the way it's flowed. So thank you both so much for joining us on the program and for sharing your thoughts. We're deeply grateful for your participation. Well, thank you very much as well. And Dara, thank you. It's been wonderful sharing the hour with you. Thank you. It's good chatting to you. You've been listening to The Lens. The Lens is a business in the community podcast in partnership with One Young World and McCann. If you like what you've heard, then please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps and makes a difference. So thank you. Also, you can find us, follow us, and interact with us on Instagram at The Lens Podcast, on Twitter at BITC, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and the Business in the Community website. I'm Harjot Singh. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, goodbye.